He's a good one to go with, isn't he? Thank the Lord that he is. Well, I'm so honored the pastor would ask me to preach this missions conference again. And, uh, of course, the Lord's name is attached to it. That's most important. But I like to be a part of anything that J.T. Lyons' name is attached to. And uh, he was loved by so many people, did a great work, he and his wife, for the Lord, and we thank God for him. Well, we hadn't been here in so long. Everybody's giving me visitor cards to fill out. But anyway, we've been in Salt Lake City, Knoxville, Tennessee, uh, Ambassador Baptist College, Greenville, South Carolina, Beckley, West Virginia. And when this meeting ends Tuesday night, I take a flight out at 6 o'clock in the morning and go to Rhode Island for a week. So please be much in prayer. And we're going to let Diane stay home and get a little rest. Amen. But anyway, praise the Lord. You know, the preacher said that he lost his taste. And, uh, you know, when I was born, I was born with good taste buds. And I've never lost them. And I thought that'd be a bad way to go on a diet to lose your taste. Amen. But anyway, I have gone recently on a, on a garlic diet. And y'all ever been, anybody ever been on a garlic diet? Yes, yeah, that smells awful. You don't lose any weight, but you look thinner the distance. And uh, so I try to, try to keep up my physique, you know. But anyway, I want you to turn in your Bibles this morning. I know we have limited time, and I want us to look in the Word of God. God has burdened my heart for this message, and I trust the Lord will use it in your life. If you're here today and you've never known what it is to have the peace of God and peace with God, and you don't know you're going to heaven, I, I want you to listen carefully because I'm going to tell you what Jesus did for you. You say, well, this is missions. That's, that's what missions is all about is Jesus. <laughs> Amen. I'm going to preach to you the basics and the foundation of all mission work anywhere in the whole wide world this morning. And I want you to turn to Matthew 27. Matthew chapter 27. And we'll begin reading here in just a moment. And I want to preach to you this morning a message I've entitled, The Miracle of Darkness. Look, if you would, in Matthew chapter uh, 27, and we'll begin reading with verse number 35. Now, as we read the scriptures, I want you to go with me on a short journey. I want you to go up a, a hill with me, and when we get up there, there's not going to be much up there, to be honest with you. It's kind of barren. It's rocky. But you'll notice on the rocks, there's some dark stains as we go up that hill, and that's the stain of blood. See, this was a place where the Romans would put people to death. The worst of the worst died on this hill. And uh, it was a place of fear, it was a place of horror, and it was a place of death. But what we're going to read about this morning and preach on this morning with the Lord's help, it is no longer a place of fear, it's a place of faith. It's no longer a place of horror, but it's a place of hope. And it's no longer a place of death, but it's a place of life. And that's Mount Calvary. The Bible says in verse 35, And they crucified him. And parted his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. And sitting down, they watched him there. Look, if you would, down in verse 45 for sake of time. Now from the sixth hour, that is 12 o'clock noon, Jewish time, there was darkness over all the land into the ninth hour. That's three o'clock in the afternoon. That's the exact time that the Passover lamb was going to be slain. 
And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is to say, my God, my God, why? Why hast thou forsaken me? Verse 50. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And I want you to notice some miracles that took place here. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake and the rocks rent, and the graves were opened. Many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves. And of course it tells us this was after his resurrection. And went into the holy city and appeared unto many. And when the centurion, the captain over the hundred soldiers that were on, was on Mount Calvary that day, when that centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. I want to preach to you this morning on what I believe to be the greatest day of the world, the greatest day of all times, the greatest... Uh, uh, influential day. The second day is likened to it, the second greatest, and that's the resurrection. For you have no gospel with a dead Savior, but you have no Savior without death. So you have to have them both. Amen? Now, you and I read the gospels and we see the compassion of our Lord Jesus. He, commit, he, he, he did more miracles, I mean miracle after miracle after miracle, and almost every single time they were for the benefit of someone else. He would raise the dead. He would touch the leper, the blind, and so forth. The paralytics, people walked again that had not walked from birth. And so we find that most of the miracles in our Bible that Jesus performed was for other people. But we find miracles here, several of them. But all of these miracles were not for others. It was to signify the importance of what was happening on the cross that day and to signify the person and the greatness of that person that was on the cross that day. Now we learn from our Bible that the cross, Jesus, was placed on there at 9 o'clock in the morning on the day of Passover. We find that he stayed on that cross for some six hours and he died precisely at 3 o'clock. The same time, down at the temple, the Passover lamb was being slain. From 9 o'clock to noon, I'm convinced at least there seems to be an emphasis on that, and I know you can't draw a fine line, but it seems like to me from 9 o'clock to 12 o'clock, Jesus was suffering primarily at the hands of man. Wicked men. By the way, we were, we, if we had been there, we probably would have done the same thing. God help us before we were saved. And this happened in daylight so that everybody could see Jesus dying on a cross. It would to attest to the fact that it happened. Men were there pouring out their ridicule. The religious crowd was there. They spat upon him like snakes with their venom. They wagged their heads. They mocked him. They treated him like a common criminal. They nailed his hands to the cross. Those hands that had never done wrong, they had touched blinded eyes and they could see. They touched people nobody else would touch, such as lepers. They nailed his feet to a cross. Those feet had never done anything but carry him on errands of mercy to seek and to save that which was lost. And they crucified the Savior. Now all that happened on the cross that day was the basis of all world evangelism. 
For without what happened on the cross that day, there would be no evangelism. There would be no hope for anybody in this building. There would be no hope for anybody in the world, an African. No Latin American could be saved. No Chinaman could be saved. There'd be no hope for the Germans, the Brazilians, the Peruvians. I mean, there would be no hope for any of us had what we're reading this morning not taken place. How we thank him for it. I have three simple thoughts this morning. Number one, let's look at the miracle of darkness. Did you see that in verse 45 and verse 46? From the sixth hour there was darkness. The Bible says, and we believe the Bible, off over all the land and the ninth hour. So here it is, 12 o'clock noon, when the sun is its highest point, it would be the brightest part of the day, and all of a sudden it went completely dark. Now let me tell you, I don't know about you, if I'd been there, I'd been scared to death. And if we walked out of this building today at 12 o'clock and all of a sudden it turned pitch dark, every one of us would have fear in our hearts, no doubt, wondering what in the world is happening. It seemed like maybe the sun was rebelling against the creator of the universe who was hanging like a common criminal on the cross. You find that all four Gospels record this miracle. It is so important. You say, well, preacher, I've heard people say that it wasn't really a miracle. It was an eclipse of the sun. Well, anybody knows anything about the eclipse of the sun know that the time Passover was, there would never be an eclipse of the sun. The alignment could never be there. And then if you've ever seen an eclipse of the sun, and many of us have that are older, you know that it does not get totally dark, and it's not dark for hours. It's dark for minutes. Sometimes only seconds, and it's not ever fully dark. Try to see the picture of this. There's more people in town in the area than any other time of the year. The Jewish male was demanded by God and commanded by God to be in Jerusalem on Passover. They say that normally in Jerusalem and the area around it, there'd be about 600,000 people that lived. But on that day, they, they said they would be somewhere between 2 and 3 million people in town. Man, this was a big event, the Passover, commemorating how God had led them out of Egypt with power and with the blood of the Lamb. And boy, those Jews would come back and they would rejoice. Boy, they had special things going on down at the temple. I can almost hear the trumpets at the temple blowing. Can you hear that choir singing? Herod expanded that temple while he was king. They say that it covered the grounds. I'm talking about the courtyards. It covered the equivalency of about 25 football fields. And they said that they could gather around that temple on Passover. They could gather anywhere from 150 to 180,000 people. So there was a crowd there. But brother, let me tell you, something changed. Something changed immediately when it went totally dark. Can you imagine the fear, the crying, the searching for children, wondering what, where's my child? By the way, I believe it was so dark you couldn't see your hand in your face. I can see temple guards beginning to light torches. I mean, people were fearful, did not know what was going on. Man, listen, chickens went back to roost. Oxen made their way back into the stall because they were confused as well. And it was a miracle of God Almighty and nothing less. The miracle of darkness. But 
What about the meaning of the darkness? Number two, verse 45. Why did it get dark, preacher? Do you, do you ever read your Bible too fast? We read and hit something like this, it went totally dark, we just keep on reading. Man, I've got some questions I've got to ask. Lord, why? By the way, you don't intimidate God by asking questions. You, you and I are not going to intimidate God by asking him questions so you can understand the Bible. So, they, they, why, why, why the darkness, preacher? What in the world is going on? Well, you find in the Bible that darkness is a picture, some people call it a type, of judgment. And I'll give you three simple illustrations this morning. Egypt. When God got ready to judge Egypt because Pharaoh wouldn't let the people go, then the Bible says that one of the judgments was total darkness for three days. Now you talk about the horror and people not knowing what was going on, we can't comprehend it because we've never experienced anything. You know, we can, get in a, we can cut off the light in the room and kind of stumble around a little bit getting out if there's no light. But can you imagine three days of total darkness, Exodus 10? Then the Old Testament prophets prophesied about a day that's coming, hadn't come yet, the day of the Lord. That's the tribulation period. And you know what some of the old prophets call the, the tribulation period that's coming, which is going to be the greatest judgment according to Jesus that this earth has ever known? They called it the day of darkness. When a man, a woman, a boy, a girl dies without Jesus, without hope, the Bible says they are cast where? Into outer what? Say it out loud. Darkness. Darkness throughout the Bible is a picture of judgment. And I'm convinced in my study of the Word of God that what was happening here is that the light of the world, Jesus, was hanging on a cross and that the bright and morning star was shrouded in darkness because there was a judgment going on. And there would be a judgment on that day, those three hours that you and I, I, I can't, maybe you can, I cannot totally comprehend it. We'll talk about that in just a moment. It was a judgment day. God Almighty was going to deal with sin once and for all. He's holy and He's righteous and sin must be dealt with. Either someone would die for us or you and I would die forever in a place called hell. There was a judgment going on. I said earlier that I believe the first three hours, the emphasis was that Jesus was suffering at the hands of man. But I find from 12 o'clock, I mean from 12 o'clock, yes, to 3 o'clock, it went totally dark. And Jesus was suffering at the hands of his heavenly Father. And God the Father was pouring out his wrath upon his own Son, planned back in eternity past. And Jesus willing to come and give his life for sinners such as me and you. And God was judging his own son because sin had to be punished. And God would not allow wicked eyes. Those men that ridiculed and spat upon him and mocked him would not allow mankind to see what God the Father was going to do with God the Son. And the judgment of God. I give you two verses of scripture for that. In fact, let's look at one of them. 2 Corinthians, hold your place. We're coming back to Matthew. Look at 1 Corinthians, if you would, please. Or 2 Corinthians, please, chapter 5. 
one verse of Scripture that explains this. Look in verse 21. For he, the Father, hath made him the Son to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made. What's the purpose of that, preacher? That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He made him sin. Now don't you ever let anybody try to convince you that on the cross, Jesus became a sinner. He never sinned. Never sinned, never sinned, ever sinned. But I tell you what he did do, he became sin for us. But he never became a sinner. And then there's an Old Testament verse that talks about this event that happened during those hours of darkness. Isaiah 53, 6. For we like sheep have all gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, doing our own thing. Forget what God wants, I'll do what I want. And the Lord, all capital letters, Jehovah, hath laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. And what happened that day on that middle cross was that God the Father was taking all the wicked sins of all of mankind for all ages and taking all of that and placing it upon his son and then judging his son as if he were judging all people of all times. What a touching thing it is, and it ought to be to the heart of the child of God. I remember reading the story of R.G. Lee. R.G. Lee was a preacher of another generation, not too many years ago, but he's been dead a number of years. He would take trips to Europe, I'm sorry, to Israel, and take tours to Israel. And he had a group there, a large group, and they were there at the place of the tomb, and they were near Mount Calvary. And all of a sudden, they missed him, didn't know where he was at, but he'd wander off sometimes looking at things. And he made his way up that hill called Mount Calvary. And at that time, there was a little Muslim cemetery there on top. He got up to the top of that hill, opened the little iron gate and walked inside of that cemetery. And he was in the close proximity of where Jesus died on a cross. And a Muslim caretaker came to him and said, Sir, you cannot be up here. This is a holy spot. He said, Oh, I know it is. He said, but you don't understand. You can't be up here. He said, son, that's all right. I'll be okay. Just leave me here for a moment. He said, you act as if you've been here before. He said, I was here 2,000 years ago. And I died in the person of my Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he wept like a baby. This was the great transaction of all the ages that took place at Calvary. Never been anything like it. The debt of sin was not paid for some of us. He died and tasted death for every man. And if you wonder if I have a Calvinistic bone in my body, I'd about as soon to be a Catholic. There would be no hope, but now there is hope. For the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sin. It's the only way a Buddhist can be saved. It's the only way a Muslim can be saved. It's the only way a lost Baptist can be saved. It's the only way a lost Methodist can be saved. Listen to what Jesus did according to Paul. And we won't turn there, but I'll just read it to you. Colossians 2.14. Now he's talking about the ordinances of the law and how the law condemns us. 
You know, the law was never given to the Jews to save them. It was to show them they couldn't be saved apart from the grace of God. And it was a schoolmaster to bring them to Jesus and show them that they could not keep the law. Paul said when Jesus was on the cross blotting out the handwriting of ordinances, that was against us, the law, which was contrary to us. And he took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. It meaning the work of the cross, the victory of the cross. Every sin of Adam's race, from Adam all the way down to the last person that will ever come into this world, every one of our sins, every one of those people's sins was placed that day on the person of the Lord Jesus. Every act of fornication... Jesus bore it. Every rape of a woman where people violate them, every pedophile that's taken a little child, and that wicked, ungodly person harms that child and then throws that child in a ditch like a piece of trash. I want you to know the Son of God died for that pedophile to pay for his sins, tasted death for every man, Every time you and I said a cuss word, Jesus bore the burden of it. Every time we've, lost, we've broken the harmony of our home because we've gotten angry and lost our temper, Jesus bore the burden of our temper. Every homosexual act that's ever been committed was placed on Jesus that day. Every bit of pride, and many of us are eat up with it. All of the pride of all the ages was put on Jesus that day. All of our unfaithfulness to God, unfaithfulness to a spouse. Every time a person's used God's name in vain. Every child that's disrespected his parents. Every person that's taken something that didn't belong to them and they stole something. Every lie that's ever been told. All of that was put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And he bore it for you and I. The just for the unjust. The weight of that sin, we can't comprehend it. We can't comprehend what Christ went through on that cross. We, we just can't call it comprehend it. But can you imagine this? After God the Father went to, the, went to that point and laid all of our sins on Jesus, and Jesus died and paid the penalty of all of our sin, people say, well, yeah, I know Jesus died for me, but now that ain't all. You've got to have more than that to get you saved. Man, I tell you, you got to try to, you got to keep the Ten Commandments if you're going to be saved. Well, you got to, you got to be baptized if you're going to be saved. You got to be so good and not sin. Let me tell you something. That's an insult to the God of heaven and His wonderful Son. You can't add anything to it. I can't add anything to it. And if we try, we do it at the peril of our soul. What in the world are people thinking? If God could have redeemed us any other way than through the cross, He made a colossal mistake here. And God has never made a mistake. He gave His life for us and the people on the other side of the world. And this is the basis of all mission work. That Jesus bore every sin of every sinner on the cross that day, and God 
shrouded that land in darkness so that men could not see what was happening to his son. I know we're not charismatic, but somebody ought to bless the Lord there. Now we can find forgiveness, peace, joy, the removal of guilt, and eventually find heaven. Amen. Last of all, third point. Not only the miracle and not only the meaning, but there's a mystery surrounding all this. Now, I'm going to tell you, I know I'm not the smartest. I, I tell people I'm not the smartest pencil in the box. I, I work hard, but that doesn't make up for my ignorance, I guess. But these things I read in the Bible, I can't understand. Y'all ever found a verse you had a little problem understanding it? Well, listen, don't throw out all the other ones because if you've got 50 that says one thing and one you're not sure of, don't throw, don't throw out the 50 because of the one. You just don't understand it. You're like me. You're not smart enough to do it. Well, the silence of those three hours were broken. Look at it in verse number 46. At about the ninth hour, that's 3 o'clock in the afternoon, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I used the word why one time in relation to the things happening or in the Bible. And a man said, oh, that's, that's bad, that's bad. I said, what do you mean it's bad, that's why? He said, oh, that's a sin against God. I said, it's not a sin because Jesus asked him why. Why hast thou forsaken me, he said. There's something strange here, and I believe there's something happened. And by the way, if, you, if I say something and you correct me after the service, that's fine with me, because I'm not 100% sure I understand this anyway. Jesus Christ was God in the flesh. God the Father was judging his son. So guess what was happening? God was judging God. Something changed. He had already addressed the Father. You, you remember when he was hanging there and he said, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. And, and just before he died, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. But right here at this point, in his time on the cross, he didn't say, my Father, my Father. He said, my God, my God. And I believe he used God because he couldn't say, Father, as he was now representing every sinner that's ever been born. You see, I didn't have enough sense to know it, but before I got saved, I could not rightly call God my Father. In fact, chapter 8 of John, Jesus told the Pharisees, he said, you are of your father the devil. The devil was my father. But oh, how I thank him I can call him Father today. Why hast thou forsaken me? Have you ever looked up that word? Get you a good old Strong's Concordance, the old one. Anything new sometimes, not worth five cents, but anyway. The word forsaken means to abandon, to desert, to turn you back upon. Jesus said, God, my God, why hast thou turned your back on me? Why hast thou forsaken me? Why hast thou abandoned me and deserted me? If, if I was hanging on the cross, 
And I ask that question, boy, there's a real easy answer. I'm a sinner, and I deserve to die and go to hell. But the pure Son of God was hanging on the cross. And he asked, my, my God, my God, why? We have no answer in this passage, but we do have an answer in the Bible for it. Psalm 22, 1 is a direct quote right here of what Jesus said on the cross. And a little bit later, I think verse 3, it gives us the reason why. He said, Thou art holy. And because God is holy, sin had to be punished. And Christ came to be our substitute. And so the Father punished him as if he were punishing all the sinners of the world. He entered the darkness that we might walk in the light. He drank a bitter cup that I might drink the sweet cup of salvation that I did 49 years ago. He was forsaken that you and I might be forgiven. He was rejected by the Father so me and you could be accepted by the Father. I had a man tell me one time, he said, Preacher, I don't know about that. God could forsake me at any time. He was one of these guys who believes you get it and lose it and get it and lose it and get it and lose it, and I don't know if he ever had it. I said, what are you talking about? He said, oh, he might. He, if he forsook his own son, he might forsake you and me. That's why he'll never forsake me and you if you're saved. Because his, his son represented all of us. We must get men and women and boys and girls to understand the work of the cross. I've had the joy and the privilege of traveling a little bit in my life, and I've been in England several times. There's a little, little community right in London called Sharing Cross. And the reason it's called Sharing Cross because it has a big cross in the center square. And they said one day a policeman saw a little boy over here, looked like he was about six years old or so, crying. And he said, son, he said, what's wrong? Where are your parents? I don't know. We were together, and I wandered off, and I'm lost, and I don't know how to get home. And I've been lost for over an hour, and I, he was just crying, boo-hooing, just scared to death, wanted mama. And the policeman said, well, son, I'll take care of you. He said, just give me your address, and he took his pen out, and he said, little boy said, I, I don't know my address. He said, well, son, do you know what street it's on? He said, no, sir, I, I don't know anything about my address. Policeman kind of scratched his head and thought, well, man, how am I going to get him home? And about that time, the little boy brightened up and he said, but I know a, I know a place that if you, he said, if you'll get me to the cross, he said, I can get home. And let me tell you, somebody took me to the cross one time, came to my home and knocked on my door on soul-winning visitation, opened the Bible, King James Bible. We had two little children they're both here this morning. We had, we had three. Mark came along later. And they were in bed, and that man opened that Bible and began to talk to us and took us to the cross. You'll find the Apostle Paul, no matter who he was preaching to. If he was preaching to Athenians there in chapter 17 of Acts, which were uh, 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 Gentiles, he would start talking to them about creation. 
If he was talking to Jews, he'd always start with Scripture because they had an understanding of the Old Testament where the Gentiles didn't. But you'll find that Paul did one thing with anybody and everybody. No matter where he started in his witness, he always ended at the same place, and that was at the foot of the cross. We've got to get men and women to the cross around this world. Did you know that most people in the world don't understand anything about what I'm talking about this morning? They don't know what John 3.16 means. They don't know the sacrifice Jesus made. And we've got to do more to rescue the perishing. And I've got to do more. Care for the dying, but do we really care? Snatch them in pity from sin in the grave. Weep over the erring one. Lift up the fallen. Tell them of Jesus, the mighty save. You can be saved this morning because of what Christ did on that cross. He bore our sins in his own body on the tree. If you not only can be saved, you must be saved. Or you'll never see the kingdom of God. Jesus was very plain about that. And you can win some. And we must win some. Let's leave this hill today. As we make our way back down the hill after visiting Mount Calvary, and we make our way out these doors, some of us, listen, there's too many tracks that stay in the track rack. There's too many dollars that stay in our pocket. There's too many of our young people seeking careers and so forth and staying at the house. Somebody's got to go. Somebody's got to go to our community. Somebody's got to go around this world. We wouldn't know J.T. Lyons had he not gone around the world. Listen, I wouldn't, I wouldn't know Dr. Seabury here if it wasn't for world missions. I told somebody, I, told, I believe I told the preacher. I explained to him who Dr. Seabury was, and I said, the only way I know how to explain it, he's the J.T. Lyons of Kenya, Africa. We've got our work cut out for us. You say, preacher, I'm just timid. I, I don't know how to talk to anybody. Well, I'll tell you what I do. I, I'm going to help you. I got, more, I got more in my office, but there's some on my table right out here. It simply says how to share your personal testimony. Did you know your testimony is one of the most powerful things you have? Amen. And you didn't have to be on death row and finally got a pardon at the last minute to have a testimony. You say, but preacher, I got saved as a seven-year-old Sunday school child. Hallelujah! You never got involved in a lot of the sins. Folks that got saved later in life did. May God help us. The miracle of darkness. The meaning of that darkness, there was a judgment going on and the mystery of it. I can't comprehend, but I believe every word of it. Boy, we ought to go out here thanking our God for what he's done for us. I could fry in hell forever. I could be in darkness, screaming and crying the worst nightmare you've ever had in your life. And it's an eternal nightmare. If you're not saved this morning, I beg you, I plead with you, we're going to stand up and let's do it now. And we're going to sing an invitation song. And if God has spoken to your heart, I'm going to have the...